Okay, and the tip stuff, but I think maybe we should um, get started because I don't think more people are going. Mm. Yeah, there are a lot of big panels. <laughs> Too many? Yeah. Yes. Okay, um, my job is to introduce all of you. Uh, I will start with Anjali Bethlehem because she will be the first presenter. She's the CEO of Design Without Borders, my boss. And she's going to talk about the impact of design for humanitarian action with examples from the Design Without Borders project. And then I will wish welcome to Raina Safari and Jochen Baller uh, from Modern Shelters. Uh, and the title of their uh, presentation is Experiences with a Threefold Humanitarian Innovation Approach before Nathan Seltzer takes over uh, from Mensch, uh, discussing operationalizing empathy in refugee camp design. So thank you, the floor is yours, Anjali. Yes, thank you very much. It's just running around by itself. Um, the I don't know if this is a cable that is a bit sensitive. No, no. Do you have some timing? Yes, uh, you know, throughout the yesterday and today, we have been just looking at the very many different definitions of innovation. And humanitarians in that context, they refer to innovation as the with reference to the role of new technology, products, processes, new business models. That is like the top-down innovation, but also the bottom-up innovation that really deals with how to build the partnerships and how to use uh, and cope with the uh, capacities of the affected people uh, to develop new solutions. So, so what I actually will be talking about today is, because design is not something in addition to these innovation processes that we have been discussing many, many different varieties of uh, throughout these two days, design is a tool that can be used in all kind of innovation processes. And this is actually, I'll try to focus, and I will be doing some, maybe, maybe some theoretical explanations, but I think the whole point of presentation is that I will be showing some examples from our projects that have been rolled out in the field and see that what this means, what I'll be talking about when it comes to design. Uh, but just to start first, uh, to use this uh, opportunity, because not so many people know what Design Without Borders is. Now it's, yeah. it's um, Design Without Borders, we have been established with this conviction that design and designers can play a very important role when it comes to handling the complex challenges within the humanitarian and development world. And uh, how does that happen? What we use is, is the tools that are available in human-centered design to deal with, with those complex challenges. We are a center for professional and applied design practices, but we are set up as a uh, not-for-profit foundation uh, in Norway, and we have offices in uh, Oslo and Kampala, Uganda. Uh, although we were established as a foundation last year, we have existed since uh, 2001 uh, as a program in Norwegian Design and Architecture Center. Uh, and throughout these years, we have had very active operations in both Uganda and Guatemala. But now currently, we have uh, operations in Uganda and from Oslo office where we are trying to establish new projects and new partnerships. Mm. What we do is, although we are not for profit foundation, but we, we provide design expertise and uh, to very many broad range of different partners and we develop solutions which are very context specific and relevant for the local context that we they have to operate in and these design services they are provided to ranging from local to international ngos local and international suppliers to humanitarian development sector and not least local businesses in developing countries 
because this is actually where the design, uh, design expertise can really do uh, and create a lo lot of social impact. But what we differ from the, origin, uh, the ordinary design offices, this is one very important aspect of our working philosophy, is that we are not just doing all projects by ourselves, we also actually are really focusing on building capacity and transfer knowledge on design in all the kind of partners we work with. Because this is we, what we believe is, this is, is one way of uh, achieving a sustainable social impact. So for us, it's really not important to have as big projects as possible, it's just to see where it's really necessary to have the design expertise and how you can actually use other kind of partnerships also to do the projects so that they are really sustainable and provide good solutions. Just to give you an idea, not going too much into details, you see these are just some uh, examples of the projects we have done. And what I'm just writing down below them is also the partners that we did that for. For example, one demining uh, equipment that we designed with the Norwegian supplier uh, for uh, humanitarian uh, sector. Uh, the other one the, on the right hand side, it's the when we designed the Transmetro system in Guatemala City uh, to make it accessible to disabled people. Uh, and this was done with the local municipality in the Guatemala City. Uh, the wheelchair project, it was a pediatric wheelchair that was designed for children living on the street in uh, cooperation with the local authorities and also a local NGO. Where who was, was developing. Hmm? Where was that one? The wheelchair one? Sorry. Uh, it was in Guatemala. Hmm. And these two, Aki, uh, the project, and the UNICEF project that I'll be mentioning today. So I'll just leave it to that. But it's a really, this is not all the solutions we have done. It's just a set of those just to see that how design can be used in very, very different settings mm -hmm. and with all kind of partners to develop good solutions. So what is the role of design in innovation? Innovation is about actually doing what we are doing better for people we serve. And uh, if you just look into uh, designs, are very, I mean, innovation processes are very dynamic processes that often result in new products, services, processes, business model, or paradigm changes you know, in some cases as well. <laughs> I, what I thought we'd be showing is, like I said, design is not something in addition to innovation <coughs> process. Design can make a contribution in all kind of innovation processes. If you just take into account the basic innovation process as defined by OXEP, it's just, you know, it says that first you need to define a problem or identify an opportunity. This is also something very parallel to that a lot of sessions have been discussing recognition phase. And then you define this potential solution for that challenge and test, adapt, and use, and then you appropriately scale the solution. Uh, it's really just as interesting to see at in which cases innovation fail. What, are, what happens very typically in some innovation when they fail. And this is actually, we see from the private sector and the public sector, is your chances of failing uh, become much greater when you jump over the first phase that is defining your challenge or problem. Because it's really more common than you might think that people have a tendency that they see a solution somewhere and they think, okay, this can be relevant for my context, take it up, you know, so instead of just identifying a challenge that you're trying to solve with a solution, you define solution, you develop solution, pilot it in a very limited setting, and then you try to scale it. And what happens is that when you jump over that first phase is that you have problems in scaling it up. Because when you have these two phases in between, you're trying to do this development in a very isolated sphere. You know, it's a very, you don't have any access to your context that you are going to scale that solution up for. 
So what does design does that makes this better? And before that, I think it's really important to know because I have worked for a private sector in 14 and 15 years. For us, it's always important when you're talking about innovation that you have to take into account what are the costs of innovating and what are the risks you're taking. And I think in typical in this pro process when you do it, do it, don't do it right, is that your costs are of course increasing while you're developing the solution. They start increasing steeply when you go into the pilot phase and scaling up is of course costly. But what is more interesting thing is to risk as well. Because risks are kind, kind of a little bit constant in this development phase. And when you go into piloting and you start accessing your users and your system and stakeholders, risk rise. And when you go and start to scale it up without having secured everything that you should have secured initially, risk also increase very, very steeply. A design process, uh, typically, um, it consists of a first phase that is a research and insight phase. And the whole human-centered design, it's actually built, the process is built on the conviction that you have to build your solution or you have to identify the challenge for your users. And not just the users, you have to involve your stakeholders and you have to understand the context in the research and insight phase. And why do I say that designers do this better than anybody else? It's because designers through their training, they have acquired the skill sets that make them, you know, what the, some of the tools that they use for research and insight phase and when the case where you're involving both your end users and your stakeholders and you're trying to operate this research insight phase in the context that you're going to develop the solution for is that they use the visualiza visualization techniques. Mm -hmm. Because when you actually you're involving your stakeholders, the stakeholder can be people who are from business communities, people who are developing the solution locally, organization that is delivering a solution. And these three kind of peop people or the other kind of people who are involved in this process, they use very different language. So when you use the visualization techniques you know, throughout, you take very, very complex information and you make it very accessible to all the stakeholders. So you make them agree much, much quicker on what the challenge is. This is the, really the main point of the design process. And when you actually go through, uh, when you have identified your challenge and you start developing your ideas and explore them further, designers already at that point, they start making their mock-ups. Because you have already, you're co-creating these solutions with your stakeholders and then you start testing them, the ideas, with it through very, very simple mechanisms. And the whole thing is that you'd never lose sight of your users or the system that you're going to operate in throughout the process. And you do work iteratively testing things throughout, you know. I mean, you move from having the mock-ups to prototypes, testing it, adapting it, prototyping it once more, and it doesn't cost much because these, uh, the tools they use, they are very, very uh, simple. And uh, so what design adds to a typical innovation process, like I mean, just to summarize it up, that in the first phase of defining the problem or challenge, what designers do through their tools and the mechanism that they are trained in is that they can help people identify the right problem to solve. With people and stakeholders, like I said, it's really always a part. You're not really doing the research just with the end users. You're trying to understand the problem with your stakeholders and for the system that you're going to do it for. And they're using these analytical and visual tools. In the second part, when you're developing the solution, what designers do is that they do this co-creation process, that they are developing the solutions with all the stakeholders. 
So just going on, I mean, I think I've talked about it. I'll just move on and just see that how does that affect the cost and risk, you know, the picture. What you... Really? <laughs> okay, uh, what you do is that you use more time initially in the recognition or identify challenge phase. But what it does is that it really reduces the risk of adoption of that solution later on when you're trying to scale it up. Because you have created an ownership, you know, it's not really anymore the solution that is not invented here, it, you have involved all the stakeholders in the process. So if I just move uh, quickly to the one example, what we did for World Food Program in Karamoja in Northern Uganda, and see how there the example is really about that how using time on the recognition phase or identified challenge phase can really come help you come up with the right solution. Uh, Karamoja setting, it's uh, one of the poorest areas in the Eastern Africa region. Uh, Karamojan people, they are uh, cattle keepers. They have been handling, I mean, trading in the cattle usually. It's the really, literacy is level is very high. It's a very, very poor area. World Food Program has been running the cash for asset program in this area for uh, since 2011, and where they have, instead of distributing the food, they have gone over to the distributing cash. And the way the program works is that uh, uh, World Food Program identifies really the vulnerable groups, identify them, and give them the opportunity to come and work for do the public work for that they get paid. And they, the whole idea of the objective for World Food Program, uh, this program's cash for asset is that how to stimulate the market growth locally and the improve the livelihoods. So. Um, what we were given the problem in this case, but how do you design a better cash transfer and work distribution system? This was a challenge that we designers were presented you know, to, to help solve. Uh, in this case, like I said, the, design, the way designers work, this whole designers process, they involved not just the World Food Program who had presented us with the problem. Uh, we talked to all the key stakeholders who were not just the World Food Program, but all the implementing partners who were implementing this program in the field, and not the least beneficiaries. We went out to the field and they uh, gathered insights and stories from the field. And throughout this process, they used very much of this visualization techniques. And I, like I said, World Food Program, Cash for Asset Program, is the first phase is the preparation phase, when you try to register people, identify people and register people for this program. And we understood that people who were actually implementing this and trying to identify these people, they had really problems in, in explaining this program, you know, what it does to Karamojan people or beneficiaries. Uh, and for people who were implementing this, they just said that it was really hard for them to communicate the criteria for the program. Uh, beneficiaries, they had no idea. They showed up at the work at different times. They didn't know how much money they will get paid and how, I mean, and how much work they need to do to get so much of money. And yeah, so we can just go on. And the point was also that the social structure in the Karamojan setting, they were very, very different from what we are used to, or designers were used to working with. So all the time they had to, designers had to understand the social structure for the beneficiaries, but try to actually also visualize and present it to the implementing partners and World Food Program in a simplified way so they understood that what was the problem and what was the effect. And 
this is thing also that that the designer was presenting, analyzing the, all the information and presenting it. It was just creating new understanding among uh, the people. And the one technique that they use also that's connecting the dots is that you make a map of cause and effect, you know, in a very very visual way, where you try to see which are the effects are being produced by the same cause and so on. Another technique that is used by designers in this is the blueprinting. Uh, for architecture, it's really known that they make blueprints for the buildings that they are trying to improve or rework. Uh, designers, service designers, they have blueprints that actually shows a visual picture of their whole system with all the stakeholders and what their task of these different stakeholders are, what their responsibilities are, what their preferences are, and which challenges they experience in a very visual way. And this just shows this uh, visual map is for the preparation phase. You could have written a report, not doing this, giving the same information. But this preparation phase that just shows very visually what are the challenges uh, and the work cycle preparation uh, and for the cash distribution phase and the cash distribution phase itself. Um, what, yeah. So what we came out of this, all this information gathering was the, some of the key findings that designers came up with. And actually it pointed to some very core challenges that have been never mentioned in these programs. They have been running since 2011. Everything from the, the beneficiaries, this World Food Program was not meeting its uh, objectives because there was lack of financial literacy among the beneficiaries. They didn't know what the money was and what it can do. Another thing, very important, Jackie, you know, uh, that challenge that came up with was the spirit of entrepreneurship. It was not being nurtured by this thing. The whole idea of cash for asset program, it was not really meeting its goal. So there were six very key findings, but what we really found was that the lack of financial literacy among beneficiaries that keep coming up, that was a really core challenge that was actually propagating and giving the other challenges. And the top, the problem that was we were given that we had to design a new cash and uh, work distribution system that was really just a symptom for this whole thing. Uh, I'll just uh, show. So what the designers given this, every challenge that designers given that gives the design opportunity. So what designers designed in this case was to improve the financial literacy among the beneficiaries who cannot read, write, or count money is that they designed a financial literacy kit that consists of a board game that is very visual. By playing, when they come to these centers to work and get the money, they play this game and get very much feel of <coughs> what money is, what kind of possibilities it gives. And it's also in the game, you are subjected to different scenarios that are very real life-like scenarios. So they get really get to play with the idea of how they can actually use money as an asset. The other part of the solution is to help implementing partners in registering these beneficiaries and go away from the paperwork. So this is actually a finalist for index awards and I think I'll just uh, finish here just showing some pictures. These are the, actually at the prototype stage in the field when we were testing this you know, board game. And this is how one module of the uh, this board game that looks like now. That is, uh, this is a planning tool that how do you actually train beneficiaries in understanding the calendar function and so on. So I'll just stop here. I will not go to the other example where actually was that once you sometimes you have you are given actually the wrong challenge and by doing it the first phase pro properly you can come to the core challenge. And in other cases sometimes you are actually close to the core challenge, but working with design you can actually come up with solutions which are much more relevant for the context they have to be operated.
Sorry about the English. Perfect. <laughs> so thank you for...